Welcome to the Inside Roll with a Side of Pasta. I'm Adam Pascal here with Pete Lasagna and our special guest, Mike Levin, CEO of Harlem Lacrosse. I've always been in awe of Mike versus a player, and I was fortunate enough to coach with Mike. But the things that stand out are simply this. What he's doing right now is growing the game and using the game to impact and change the lives of those who want better opportunity. Coach Lasagna, take it from there. Thank you, Adam. Mike, it's fantastic to see you. It's been a while. I don't have many regrets in life, but I will start our second podcast out with sharing one of the few regrets I have. I did not get to coach Mike Levin in college. Uh, where at Brown University, tell me if I get any of these details wrong, uh, you were a two-time All-American. You were All-Ivy three times. Is that correct? Uh, yep. Um, you were New England player of the player of the year at least once. You were a two time captain, which might be my favorite uh, bit in your bio. Um, and then played pro lacrosse, coached college lacrosse, played pro lacrosse, won two uh, MLL championships. Do I do I have do I have the the bottom line facts correct? You got it. You got it down. Well, it's just uh, it's great to be here with you and. I'll just continue where Adam started. You're an incredibly multi-talented human. You could be doing anything. Uh, I dare say maybe making even more money than you currently make. And I'm just so curious. Tell us about your journey and, and what got you where you are in terms of what you decided to do with your talents. Yeah. I, uh, when I was coaching with Adam, I, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. You know, I just, I went back to school to be a teacher. I went to Boston college and my master's degree, I was doing my student teaching at Quincy high school and I was considering taking a job in Boston public schools. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to coach. Um, and I signed up to be a volunteer for a nonprofit in Boston called Metro lacrosse. I, I went to their website and I said, I want to volunteer. And they called me up and said, yeah, we have a job opening. And, uh, I have a great friend actually applied for the same job and they decided to hire us both, which is amazing. She was in a woman named Tracy Britton, who's like an awesome influence on me. But, uh, so I really hadn't thought about like the idea of a nonprofit until then. And I just was sort of, um, you know, I was really young. I was just sort of like, this sounds fun. I like lacrosse and I want to try and do some good in the world. And I didn't know much more than that. And, uh, you know, then I sort of started looking around and said, oh, this, I think this could be fulfilling to me. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things happening here. The challenges of, of leading something like this seem interesting. So I just sort of started paying attention to the other aspects of the organization besides just working with kids, mm. um, namely fundraising, board management, stuff like that. And so then I eventually became the CEO, a great friend and mentor of mine, Emily Helm, left the position. Um, who I st still works with us today at Harlem Lacrosse as a consultant. She's um, been a, like just an incredible support system and leader in the, like the work that we're doing for a really long time. I started, so I started working there in November of 2007. And then um, I became the CEO, which was a great challenge. I'd never looked at the P&L of any business ever until m like a week before uh, my first board meeting, which was like one week after being hired. And it's like, here, here's the business. Your job is to pay the bills. Here's a, here's a Rolodex basically like start making phone calls or that's what I thought I should be doing. I don't think, you know, there wasn't as much telling what you should be doing. Um, and which was, an, you know, it was stressful at the time because uh, there were a lot of challenges. There's some financial challenges with the organization, but it was a great way to like sort of cut my teeth. Yeah. And um, so it was going great. And then um, I wanted to, I, I, I was learning a ton of just being super challenged and fulfilled by the job. And then uh, my now wife had moved to California. I was sort of interested in moving there. And I got a, a really fortuitous email one day from someone said, Hey, I heard about Metro lacrosse. I'd like to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. I don't want that to happen in LA. Um, from a guy named Doc O'Connor, who's a Dartmouth lacrosse alum. And I had no idea who he was, at the t and, uh, but it turned out he was like the perfect person for me to meet. He was running CAA at the time, the talent agency and had launched like CAA sports. So he was super well connected in LA lived here for a long time. And he's like, Hey, I just want to sort of like learn about what's going on here. Like, 
and we had a few meetings i you know and i was coming out to visit abby we got lunch and i put together a proposal today i think we could do this together uh would you be willing to support it and help me find some of the rest of the money and he said sure a uh, funny story actually pd was like so we we uh in, in the beginning it was just uh, we hadn't incorporated a business or anything and it was just like he was supporting it and I was wa walking around Watts, knocking on doors of schools, being like, I want to start a lacrosse program, which was an amazing experience. Like, I love the, the kind of like get the full view of the organization grassroots. But the first person he was like, let's call us Tom Rothman. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing meeting. We had another Brown lacrosse alum who, uh, you know, has been a really successful uh, movie studio executive. And it was a I'd never been in a movie studio a lot. It was a very intimidating experience, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Wow. And Tom's been very supportive to this day, um, an awesome supporter of what we do. So, but Doc had a pretty funny story because he had been an agent. He's like, the last time I called him, I was screaming at him about something that some, some of my clients wanted and he was making the movie and it like, it didn't go that well, but it'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, then a couple of years in, we started this organization called city of the cross, which was going great. And, uh, I got a call from Simon Cataldo, the founder of Harlem Cross, the board chair, who I'd gotten to know a little bit in my Metro lacrosse days. And he said, Hey, are you interested in, uh, you know, going like becoming the CEO of Harlem lacrosse? I said, no, at the time we were about to have a baby, our first child. And I'm like, we well, you know we're settled in California. This is where we live. And, but you know, this is, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. And eventually we decided to merge. And, uh, so we became. Harlem across LA, what we had started in, in LA. And then, um, Harlem had just gone to Boston. This was in 2017 and they were, had, were about to go to Philly had been in Baltimore for two years. We subsequently merged with Metro lacrosse, the original org that I was working for. So it all kind of came under one umbrella. And, um, yeah, that was at that time when we worked in the merger, we, I think had 13 or 14 employees serving about 400 kids total. And uh, now maybe 300 kids total. So now we have 63 full-time employees. Um, Harlem Cross has a program directors are embedded in schools. There's 40 of those people around the country uh, serving about 1,200 kids a year and trying to figure out how to make it all work. So that was my journey. Your question was about like, okay, you know, I think it was about like, why are you, in, why are you doing this? You know, maybe <laughs> yeah, we conceivably could be doing something else at which... You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure what it feels like the perfect job for me. It's like, uh, super challenging and interesting. And yeah, I'm sure I would be happy and compelled by lots of jobs, including coaching, which I definitely miss. But, you know, if I consider myself like a capable leader or someone who wants to be that, it feels like totally appropriate. You know, this is what I think we should want, like society's capable leaders working on problems like educational inequity, you know? And so I think it makes total sense, you know, like I, we also need smart people doing investment banking and other things that's important also, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's important for people. I, you know, I hope that like kids who are in Harlem lacrosse or young people who are playing lacrosse and start to see themselves as leaders. Think of that as well. That says, okay, we're, we're, what are the contributions I want to make to the world? Because there's all kinds of opportunities in the nonprofit sector to address important problems. And so it's a wow. I mean, good. thank you. That's a that's it's deep. Um, and I, I have to say, as I was listening to you, Mike, and thank you for sharing all that, I just thought about all the different times with all the different people in my time in the sport that we talked about what we might be able to do to actually grow the game and to grow the game in meaningful ways in important communities where, where maybe it had not been. And as I'm looking at you on the screen and listening to you speak, like here's a man who actually took action and takes action every day. It's just, it's remarkable, man. Again, we can all talk about growing the game. I don't know many people who have grown the game in, in more important, significant ways than you have in your time. Thank you for saying that. I think it's, um, you know, I, I do try to live by the adage, you know, well done is better than well said. And I think 
we live in kind of an you know it's a different era where there's sort of like activism on the internet is it's one form of trying to make the world a better place and there's a role for that i think in the public discourse but sometimes it rings hollow for me to say okay like we're gonna say things and what, what does that mean you know i think about um especially like systemic racism in the sport of lacrosse and i've done a lot of reflection you know since george floyd but i'm like super lucky to work at a place where uh, there aren't many lacrosse organizations that have such like diverse uh constituency like stakeholders you know we have lots of people of color who are employees with some majority minority staff for example and board members and kids and parents and so thinking about an issue like that i'm like okay um when george floyd was murdered lots of people in this country woke up and said like this is not right like i this the country that we live in is not the way that i want it to be and i've been sort of asleep at the wheel being like i think everything's okay that's how i felt said hey i've been doing this work at, at for all these years and like this kind of thing is still happening like i'm not what's 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 wrong you know what's missing but it was sort of like you know I'm a, I'm a person in a position of power and in the sport of lacrosse, which is like predominantly white sport, like the people who have the power are white men often. So it's like, it's up to those people to, to make different decisions if we want the sport to be different. And it's, you know, act, you know, speaking out is one thing, but I have very discreet things that are within my purview and in my job, I make certain hiring decisions and firing decisions. And I make budget choices and, and lots of other things as well. But those are sort of levers of power that I need to think about using in a way that makes the sport more equitable and inclusive. And that's different than just saying it, you know? So it's, um, we try, I try to, you know, I was, uh, like that. I think Cornell lacrosse is like a well done. It's better than well said kind of mantra, which I try to live by, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty incredible, I see so much opportunity because of what you're saying, you know, lots of, there is like a sort of like groundswell of, of, uh, you know, there's like demand people want this, you know, I think many stakeholders of the lacrosse community want it. You know, like you're saying, Hey, lots of people have talked about this because it's important. It is really hard. It's really hard to do it, but it's almost like the lacrosse community just needs like a vehicle through which it can happen, you know? So it's like. You know, going when I was walking around Watts, knocking on doors, being like, "I want to start this." You know, like lots of people were like, "Who are you?" Or like, "I don't trust this guy." I, I did not know one person in LA, so they were like, right to not trust me. And um, then you're like, okay, if you're going to a gym class, being like, "Hey, kids, try lacrosse." It's like there's hard stuff happens. You know, the kids are not always like, "Definitely, I want to do this," and they're not always good right away, and sometimes they struggle with lot of things and sometimes it's for like really um intense reasons and it's just like it's hard work you know you're right on the front lines but the the lacrosse community needs some something some vehicle to be like doing that work to channel all the energy that exists is kind of what i think so it's like you know can you raise a lot of money yeah sure can you can you assemble lots of smart people with good ideas about how to grow an organization like this and make deeper impact yeah definitely like i'm super lucky i got Doc O'Connor emailed me out of the blue, you know, and it's like, he was like the perfect person to help me. He's grown this giant business, really smart, strategic guy, very generous guy. And we're very lucky in that way. And so I think there's lots of opportunity. It's just, um, up to those, you know, there's a, a subset of organizations that really need to sort of like take that responsibility of kind of channeling the, the groundswell that does exist in our sport to make real change. So it is not just talk, you know, so it's not just, I wish something was different, you know, Mike, in the last few years, I'm sorry, Pete. No, good. Mike, in the last few years, the one thing that's really impressed me with Metro with Harlem lacrosse, I apologize, has been some of the issues that kind of plague lacrosse with the privatization and the youth lacrosse issues. But I don't think many people or enough people know that besides the academic year programs that you run of the growth of the national programs and the travel teams and the involvement throughout the whole year, could you talk a little about just the opportunities from uh, Jeff Hacker at Camp Cedar to just the, the amount of 
student athletes, boys and girls, men and women that are, that are playing in college, like just give some numbers of the impact of what's going on. Yeah. So first, like the programming, I mean, we Harlem Cross definitely sees ourselves as like depth over breadth. You know, we are we are trying to serve our kids as deeply as possible as opposed to serving as many kids as possible. So we're are, we're aiming for about 250 hours of attendance per year outside of the school day. So that looks like lots of different things. It's academic support, it's enrichment. Yesterday I was at a uh, corporate outing. We're doing some like corporate mentorship um, and lots of pro uh, programming in the summer as well. So uh, the summer is generally five weeks of day camp for like our core base participant, middle school through high school, um, and then a bunch of club programming, club lacrosse programming. And there's other layers, including independent school placement. So there's about 80 kids, uh, 80 to 90 kids at any given time in independent school who are Harlem Cross alums uh, or active participants because they're getting counseling while they're in independent school, while they're away at boarding school. And then they're playing with us in the summer. Um, and then there's college placement services. So traditional college placement services, like I need help with my financial aid. I want to put together my school list, the college recruiting piece. Um, that's something that happens at Harlem Cross too. So to put some numbers of, uh, around, and then like you, you referenced Camp Cedar, um, that's an overnight camp that's open to all, all of our East Coast participants. We have a separate overnight camp um, in LA that takes place at the Thatcher School, which is an incredible place. But um, so it's meant to be like robust, diverse set of programming. Uh, and right now there are close to a hundred kids playing college lacrosse from Harlem lacrosse or our graduating classes. The last few years have been about 60 kids a year. And generally speaking, those are about 50, 50 to 60% of those students are first generation college students and about 50% of them are playing college lacrosse. So the, the class of 26 is 150 kids in it right now. And our challenge, I think, without even adding more programs, we're just trying to like increase retention. Um, and we've added a lot of programs in recent years, which is why that group is bigger. That's kind of what the groups should be moving forward. Um, so our goal is to say, how can we get the same outcomes in terms of like college readiness, college enrollment, college persistence, college athletics for those who, for whom that's the right fit for you know, two and a half times as many kids as we're doing it right now every year. The, the national club team is, um, this will be its third summer. Um, and a really generous uh, donor who basically went through the experience with his kids and said, okay, I see what it takes. If you want to play college lacrosse, there's like, this is a massive investment. It's, it's obvious that that's not available to every child. And how can I help Harlem Lacrosse students have this? And we um, we launched a national club program. So now it's four teams. Uh, so there's like a tryout weekend and then a training camp week. And then they'll go to, there's by four teams, there's two boys teams and two girls teams, uh, like an older group and a younger group. And they'll go to three to four events between the summer and, and like the end of the calendar year. So, you know, I think it's just what it means to, try to play college lacrosse is a lot different than when I wanted to play college lacrosse and coach was to visit my house in the summer of 1999, probably. I mean, um, but it was, you know, if you want to do it, it's a lot more expensive now. And, you know, I, I have certain feelings about like, you know, what that means for the world. But if I want to provide an equitable opportunity for our students, we, need to engage in it and there's lots of great people in the club universe that help make it possible but it's a, it's a big undertaking you know to have those four teams it's it's a big investment for harlem lacrosse in terms of time and money but it's been pretty fun and um yeah that's a we are not we are the i think the farthest thing from sort of a win at all cost program but we also do not want to shy away from lacrosse competency as being an important outcome you know if you come to harlem lacrosse if you work here, our expectation is the kids are getting better. Kids do not have to be great lacrosse players. You know, that's like, there's lots of factors that determine your ceiling as a lacrosse player, but they should be getting better every day that they come to practice. 
and they should be coming back to practice. Um, so retention and skill development are important factors and linked things. You know, we think that's one of the things that keep kids coming. So, um, you know, the, the national club program is not available to every kid, you know, lot, there's lots of good cross players that don't make the team. And, um, you know, we're, we're comfortable with that. We think we're still delivering like a good high quality service to every kid in the program. So thank you to that point of, and they need to keep coming back. I mean, your program is vast and, and all ages. Is there anything from your, but you need to grab them when you, when you first have an opportunity to grab them in order to get them to be able to benefit from all the other things as they get older, right? Is there anything from your own youth experience there? You were growing up in suburban Rochester. You were, you know, good at a lot of things. Um, is there anything from your own experience when you first started playing that actually has helped you as you formulate programming for young kids that you're trying to grab? Uh, yeah, I think there's some fundamental truisms about like high quality youth programming. Um, and just like human interaction, you know, I had some great coaches who cared deeply about me and had really great like relationship building skills. So that's definitely something that we focus on at Harlem Lacrosse, you know, family engagement is another critical component. Um, that was also an amazing part of my own experience. I, I never really like thought about it that much, but, um, you know, it was engaging families in this journey that their kids are going on is a really important driver of retention and something that we you know we're specifically focused on if you if you work here you will come to a training it's like this is what it means to have a good like text relationship with parents these are opportunities when you should be texting parents to tell them their kids are doing great and you know this is kind of like a great potluck opportunity or you know whatever the case may be um and so a lot of that happened for me uh naturally too so I also, there's, there's some pieces about just the lacrosse component that I think I probably never thought about that carefully, but are, are part of what have informed my view on what is effective youth lacrosse coaching. Like, um, you know, uh, like there's an efficiency of a practice, you know, like the, the amount of repetition you're getting versus the amount of speaking time the coach is delivering. And like how much you're waiting in line and how many balls you're using. And, you know, a term that we sometimes use like economy of language, you know, and getting the highest bang for your buck when you're using one second to speak. And I think those are all elements that I had, like I had really great youth lacrosse coaches. So I like, I kind of carried that with me, you know, I, I added to it from meeting a lot of great coaches. But like, honestly, when I went to grad school or I'd be a teacher, I was sort of like picking up pieces and there's, I mean, there's lots of great coaches training. Those are not like revolutionary ideas for sure. But uh, definitely some things. And now there's lots that I was not at all part of my experience that is critically important in terms of uh, like retention and engagement of students and families, you know, like a lot of which has to do with race and uh, just an income and just the experience of being someone who lives in Harlem or Compton, California and like the lacrosse, like the way lacrosse is now, you know, I probably went to like two lacrosse tournaments in my life one of which was empire state games which was subsidized by the taxpayers in new york before i had played college lacrosse you know so the idea of like everybody rolling up in their suvs and like just the kind of like or traveling you know like taking the airplane to go play a lacrosse tournament is like it never even entered my brain you know i didn't even know that was a thing people could do and now it's like you know there's many people that fly private planes to go to lacrosse tournaments in this country and so you might be like showing up to the game being like, how did I get here? You know, I took a bunch of kids to a tournament when I started sitting across in just South of LA in San Pedro and we took a school bus and it was like, I had a bunch of people come up to me being like, what's going on here? You know? And it was cause it was just seemed so different, you know? And uh, you know, all the kids were not white also. So that also seemed different. And we had we had a little bit of like a bad news bears element to that group so it's like you know we caught people's attention sometimes for good reasons sometimes for not good reasons but just that experience is like and just is when you talk about keeping kids coming back and kind of like helping students navigate 
like what it's like to exist in the war in the lacrosse universe as a minority or as someone who maybe doesn't have the financial resources as a lot of other people is part of it you know it's easy to imagine a club lacrosse kid or family being like i'm not sure if this is for me mm. you know even without some like explicit horrible things which do happen you know but there's also sort of like more subtle things that happen it would just sort of like kind of erode your affinity to the sport you're like i'm not quite sure this is my thing you know and that's we try to be thoughtful about how because it can be you know that can be your thing you know we're here to say it can be your thing and um we, we if you if you want it it's important to us and that that it's important to you and uh so i'm kind of long-winded but yeah that's hope that's that got great thank you so much <laughs> mike what makes the game of lacrosse the perfect kind of vehicle for the structure and and the the just kind of the potential and the opportunity to promote. Why why is lacrosse? And I'm sure this happens in other sports, but you have grown this into a monster in the 15 years from Metro to uh, what you're doing right now. Um, what are some of the challenges you've been dealing with besides the privatization? What are some issues that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very ambitious what we're trying to do. You know, just like I mean, the Harlem lacrosse budget is eight point six million dollars today. So like we have to raise that every year and it keeps going up. It's gone up every single year. Um, so one of that's ambitious. It's not that easy to just come up with $8.6 million. Um, and, but it is possible, you know, and I've had to learn how to be like, a, and build a professional fundraising operation that can do that. Um, there certainly is lots of generous people. That's one factor, you know, lacrosse community community has consolidated a lot of smart, generous, well-resourced people who, who share our values about equity and, you know, inclusivity of the sport. So I also think it's beneficial how that it's still niche thing. It's small, you know, it's like, um, I sometimes think about like hockey and tennis and sports that are bigger and have, you know, like much like bigger moneyed interests. And you're sort of like, okay, like what is, can you go backwards now? You know, where I actually, I truly believe that there will be a day in lacrosse where sort of like, it doesn't seem unique what we're doing at all. You know, where like, I'll be old, I'll be like 90 years old being like, there once was a day when like, it was pretty much only white people. And my grandkids will be like, that's insane. And I'm like, I know it is insane, but it used to be the case, but I'm so happy that it doesn't seem weird to you at all now. Cause it's still small enough that I think if, if we can kind of like grapple with it enough, I mean, you're fighting against some powerful forces, like the privatization of these sports, just, you know, wealth inequality is part of it. You know, um, you're fighting at these things, but it's still small enough that I think if we all, and there's enough, so many good people that you can kind of do something very ambitious. Uh, that's one factor. And then I think there's a lot about the sport too, that just, you know, it's, um, I think being a team sport is really critical. It's novel, you know, it's, so it's like when you're going into a community that it, it's like, there's the, um, it's new. So that makes it a little bit exciting. And it also means that there isn't a lot of like baggage to it. You know, when we talk about like inclusivity, it's, I've had some amazing experience coaching kids where the only, the only lacrosse they've ever known is like me going to this park in Compton and playing lacrosse in their neighborhood. And so then like, they've been doing that for a year. We go to a tournament. They're like, this is weird. All the kids are white. And you're like, yeah, I know it is kind of weird, but because they don't like they they don't have this association that I have with lacrosse because they don't know anything about it. <laughs> they just know that some guy came to their school and was like, let's play lacrosse, which is kind of you know. And I think, um, yeah. So it's uh, you're fighting against some things, but there's there's lots of opportunity in in the sport of lacrosse. I think like the kind of like the enthusiasm of the people around it is one of the main things. You know, it's like. I'm able to get in rooms that I have no business being in because someone is like, I love lacrosse, mm. you know, and that's, that's not nothing. You know, I, I think I have, I have peers in, but even not in sports, but in other nonprofits that are like, that's incredible. Like, how do you get that opportunity? And it's not really because I'm anything special. It's just because, you know, lacrosse, a lot of those people share the passion that we all have for the sport. Yeah. And I think it is, 
it's nice to be able to continue to say, and I maybe I feel like this is less true sometimes than it was when I used to say it, but the lacrosse community is different. Um, and again, do I, do I think that they're doing similar kinds of great work in football community and basketball? I'm certain in some ways, but, but I do think this community is different. I know it's different. We all, we, the three of us do. I'm curious, Mike, and as I was listening to you, and I don't know if this is correct, but as somebody that was in higher ed for 40 consecutive years, I at least feel like I have some pretty good usable data sample. Part of the benefit in terms of, uh, you had mentioned systemic, systemic racism earlier and, 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 and other things that, that you all deal with. Like, as you said, your kids getting out and going, huh, all these other kids on all these other teams at this tournament are white. It, I thought one of the great, great benefits that COVID forced upon our community was that there were many more captive audiences, especially that spring and summer of 2020 when people like us could not go out on the road. And I, I felt like that opportunity was very well used to raise everybody's awareness um, about what it's like to not look like the three of us and decide to invest and have your family decide to invest in this sport. Again, there were just there were there were more forums, there were more there was there was more content. Um and and we were all we all had time on our hands and we and we were able to consume it and and evolve and grow a little bit and have more conversations that we maybe had not been having uh enough. So have you all been able to connect with the Black Players Alliance with with sort of all these the leaders, the black and brown leaders in our sport that have really, I feel like emerged in a really significant way in the last three or four years um, in a, in a different way than, than I had experienced before. Um, are you able to connect to, to, to those people as, as great role models and, and leaders for you all? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think just the kind of like leaning into virtual things also just like those two factors sort of like a, a raised social consciousness of okay, him. I'm, I'm thinking more about, big issues because I have a lot of time in my hands and things are happening in the world and I'm reading things and watching things and consuming things that are making me think about some things that maybe I wasn't thinking about before. And like, I can get access to someone pretty easily. Like I can look at them on a computer screen. And so we did a bunch of virtual programming during COVID that, um, you know, we would invite guest speakers all the time and, and people were, were very available. And then, um, since I, I would say it's, it's stayed that way. I remember talking to Kyle Harrison about this issue one time and he's like, you know, cause I could see what was happening with the pro lacrosse players and, you know, um, when they have the, uh, PLL thing in the bubble and they had the black lives matter t-shirts and I, you know, there was some tension there and it was just like the, the there were some issues bubbling to the surface, getting talked about. Mm -hmm. And there were some quite vocal, like black leader like players that were leading the charge and i had some great conversations with some of those people but his his response when i was talking to him was like you know like i just want to say yes to everything like part of my responsibility is to is to like if you ask me to do something if you want me to come to an event or speak to your kids like i'm going to do it and that's kind of i think like a consistent theme uh, amongst like that especially that group of like uh pro lacrosse players mm. you know because it's like there's a there are there's like a not an insignificant number of really good men's lacrosse players of color that like in that pro game and they're all like dialed into social media just like all the pll is so there's they're just they occupy kind of a unique position mm. um and and it's not dissimilar in, in the women's game um you know, I think there's lots of room to grow there. Um, but we've had like some amazing, incredible leaders um, in the women's game. I think women in general just like tend to be a little bit more progressive. You know, like I think the Women's Coaches Association has been a little bit um, better ally to Harlem lacrosse in certain ways um, that because they're a little bit, they tend to think a little bit more globally you know i think in men's lacrosse it's there you'll know more about this than me but you know it's super competitive and everyone's you know there's a lot of line people's jobs and stuff and so there's sometimes a little 
like not distrust, but it's sort of like it's hard to lose to take your focus off of. I need to make my team the best that it can be because this is how I feed my family. It's I can't really think about something like that, you know. Um, and for the women, they've been a little bit more like, oh yeah, we can we can do both, you know. And so I love to see more people of color in coaching in college. That's like a one of the side projects that has emerged for me that I haven't really been able to support, but I think it's an important issue that not enough people are talking about, not just in college, but high school club and industry. You know, I selfishly want it because we are, we are always recruiting people to work here, but I just think that someone should be thinking more about developing the next cohort of leaders in the lacrosse community. And how are we going to make that group more diverse than has been the case, you know, and they're just because there are not a, are not a lot of people of color who make up the lacrosse community, and they are less likely to go into leadership positions than white counterparts. You're just you're more likely to get this like kind of like reinforcing cycle of okay, you're just the people who are the coaches and the club program leaders being white, and that's that's part of. Um, I think what holds back inclusivity a, a little bit, you know, it's a hard problem for sure. It's, I, I'm not here to point the finger at anyone, but I just think it's, it's one that as a lacrosse community, we should kind of like grapple with a little bit. Like, how are we going to work on this? No, I agree. And and you hear all of the Kyle and, and, and all the other, um, you know, Jules Henenberger and, and all the people again that have, have become really vocal and, and, uh, and so respected leaders. Um, of the black and brown lacrosse commu players community, um, they talk about it all the time. You know that that they grew up through the sport, and as you said a little while ago, not only were they playing with almost all white teammates and against almost all white teams, they almost never, to a man, had a black or brown coach. Yeah. Um, as we talk about growing up through the game, Mike, and you talked about the Empire Games and the value of uh, your family experience and growth in the game, um, who are some people or, or how did the game kind of grab onto you to the point where you you kind of, you're a, you're a lacrosse professional as well in what you're doing. Like you've attached your, your livelihood as well to the game of lacrosse. Are there one or two people or one or two experiences that you can kind of look back and say, wow, you know, like, wow, that kind of, that, that's the reason why. Well, I really wanted to be like my older brother and that's why I started playing lacrosse. I still want to be like my older brother. Um, but he gave up lacrosse like very soon after I picked it up. So it was like that, that piece of it went away. Um, but, uh, you know, I had really great the the my experience as a kid was like unbelievable, and I think it I it makes me sad to think that it's kind of uncommon now because I learned to play lacrosse at the Pittsburgh Rec Center. You know, that was it was a very inexpensive, like accessible opportunity, like a it, that was subsidized by the taxpayers of Pittsburgh, New York. It was part of like a robust recreation system, and I got like excellent lacrosse instruction. Lots of great lacrosse players besides me who were way better than me came, came through that program. And I got as good as I was going to get by just going to the rec center and then going to my middle school team and playing on my high school team. And that made me a pro lacrosse player. I didn't need to supplement with any private coach or I don't, I don't think if I did, it would have made me better because I got such good instruction. So, you know, the youth coaches that I had were, were Paul Wilson and Scott Bryson who were the high school coaches as well. And they worked at the rec center. Um, in the rec department. So it was like a, a really nice alignment. I had them for a long time and I had a great relationship with them. That was like, you know, they were, I thought they were outstanding technical coaches. Um, I was super well prepared when I got to college and just like I've got a great education and I was well prepared to, you know, do college writing or like do math. I understood the fundamentals of the game in a way that I was like kind of surprised that I was, I was like a little ahead of the curve. I was like, I, I know this stuff already. You know, I don't, this is a review for me because we covered the big, the fundamentals well. Um, so those, that was a big part of it. But then I think, I mean, it's just like, it's just some like really unbelievable human beings in the sport. And like, um, 
I had great friends in college, but, and like, you know, my relationship with you, Adam, is like, I, you know, I, I'm bumping into someone like you. I mean, there's not a lot of people like you, but like, or like Pete, you know, it's like you convinced me to go to Brown. I never played one practice for you, you know, but I still am like, I, I like have a relationship with you now, you know, you know, almost 30 years later. That is, I think, kind of unique. And it's like playing pro lacrosse and then all these people. Like when I left Brown, I was like, okay, I was devastated that we didn't do better. I was it took it really seriously. And I was like, we we like underachieved, which maybe we did. But when I got to pro lacrosse, I was like, oh, we didn't underachieve. Like we didn't have people like this on our team. These guys are animals, you know? And it was awesome, you know? And I'm like, and the games were so much more competitive and so much more physical. And I was like, oh, this is what it means. This is like why Syracuse is awesome. These guys are total animals, you know, in the best way possible. And like, they're all super interesting. I met all these like amazing people, like our team in Rochester, which we, where we lost that success was like half Canadian. So like the stories and just like, it was like meeting people that like, you know, different like culture in a way, you know, or like, you know, being on a team with Brett Bucktooth, it's like, Hey, this is like different culture and it's something really cool he's bringing. So I think I had great coaches for sure and great friends, but just like. I don't know the the variety of people you meet is it's so cool like i just maybe want to stay and be around it you know um i just wanted to be around it i i feel like i used to go to nazareth lacrosse camp when i was a kid and i was like i thought these guys were so cool you know <laughs> and like the goalie ben weinberg i was like this guy's incredible you know like he's an unbelievable athlete and just like i just wanted to be like him you know, and then I'm like a couple of years later, I'm like working with cross camp with Brown with him and just like, he's a, he's a really smart, interesting guy. You know, it's just like, I feel like you're always just kind of bumping into these like really unique, interesting people in the sport that, uh, just, I just wanted to keep being around it, you know? And now you are one of those people, Mike, <laughs> you have, you have been for a really long time. I, I'm curious as a bit of a follow-up to Adams and, and maybe to Ben Weinberg just being mentioned um, again, high school quarterback, I guess you, you might say doesn't translate often enough to high school goalie, college goalie. Uh, I'm guessing you with the coach Wilson and the other pe great people that you mentioned uh, coming up through the the Pittsburgh Rec system, you had an opportunity to play other positions. Why the hardest position? Um, well, I I so I started playing and I was not playing goalie, and then I went to Nazareth camp one year and I was like, I want to try goalie, and for whatever reason, they're like, you can't, and that just like irked me. I was like, they're like, you have to come to camp as a goalie if you want to play goalie. And I'm like, I have to, I was like, it just got under my skin. So there, there was, that was kind of like an inciting factor, but, and also I was playing baseball and my dad was like really obsessed with like not being afraid of the ball. This was like a kind of like a core lesson of my childhood to like, mm -hmm. I felt like I always had to overcome this thing. And I'm like, well, if I want to learn that, I, this seems like the best way, you know? <laughs> so I started playing goalie, but I think that's how I like perceived it as a kid. But I think like there was a little something more innate that i'm like i just kind of gravitate toward it i'm like okay that seems like an important job like i think i want to try to see if i can handle that you know and just like playing quarterback there it's like it's pretty unbelievable experience to be like in the huddle and have everyone looking at you being like what are we going to do and you're like this is the plan you know, and it's cool. It's, and then you're kind of at the center of it, even if you're just facilitating something, but you're like, and there is something kind of similar to lacrosse. I mean, it's, it's different. You know, you're like, in some ways when you play goalie, you know, you're like, your job starts when everything else is broken down, <laughs> you know, like, and, but it's, it's an amazing feeling to be like, you know, it's, it's like a great exercise of teamwork. It's like, okay. Something didn't go right. They got a good look at the goal and now it's my turn to like do my job. So it's like, you know, so 
I'm not sure what it was. I think about it all the time now for my, in my job, because I meet a lot of goalies who have been in leadership positions in business. Hmm. And I think there's something about like accountability that is like, you know, you definitely have to be wired for it in a job like this, where, you know, I'm responsible for paying the bills at our own lacrosse. There's lots of people who count on me to like get their paycheck and kids that's for us to fund programs. And like, if I fail at my job or make a mistake, you know, I, there's high stakes. And like that can feel like a lot of pressure. If you're like, okay, we have to make budget cuts. For we have to lay someone off or we have to not offer a program to a kid that, that I really badly think should exist. And that's like a certain level of accountability that, um, can be challenging, you know, it's, but it's like, I feel like goalie was an incredible training for it. Cause it's like, okay, it's, it, you, it does have all those things happen. You know, stuff goes wrong sometimes and you give up goals and it's like, but it's not the end of the world. And you have to have the confidence to like, get back and keep going at it if you want to be successful. And so I feel like it's, I can't answer exactly. There's definitely something I think innate that kind of was like, I think I'll try that, but I just feel like it still comes up for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Mike, as we get going and we keep talking about kind of relationships and you've been talking a lot about, and one of the most impressive things is about like kind of your adaptability uh, and that impacts your leadership and your confidence in what you do and how you go about things. Um, in this great game that we've talked, I'm sitting here trying to like count up the total amount of years that we've each known each other. And it's like 65 to 70 years. If you put together all of our relationships and, you know, this was kind of started because, um, I wanted to kind of talk to some friends and do some interesting things. And Pete has such a great voice and approach and it's all kind of rooted in this game. And I think about when we coach together at Holy cross or it's on staff at the Brown camps, or when I met Pete, um, at Brown lacrosse camp now, almost 35, 30 years ago. Um, what has this game given to you? What has this game given to you kind of that, as you look back, it, it's a motivation. What is it given to you that you need is really the question I'm getting at. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because my son is like, you know, he's six years old. He's three weeks into his lacrosse experience and he's trying a bunch of different things. But I think about like, what do I want him to get out of it? You know, and it's like mostly what I have landed on is like, I want him to have something that like allows him to sort of like find his way like it's it's compelling enough to him that he wants to keep doing it so that he can learn all kinds of things like you know or so that he can experience joy so he can have lots of fun and that he can like have lots of great relationships and he can learn some things that are important to learn as a young person like how to work hard and how to work with other people and how to be resilient how to fail and get back up and try again but it's like that's what i want him to I'm not sure if it'll be lacrosse or something else, but that's what I want for him to take out of any like sort of extracurricular experience. And, uh, I think for me, it was like, I just loved it so much. The like playing it, you know, that, um, it allowed me to like learn all these other things that, because I, I was just going to be like all in. So, um, you know, like we lost the game. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, we lost in the sectional finals with one second left and it was a crushing really like it was a pretty soft goal that I gave up and we, we gave up two goals at the end of the game and stuff. And it was like, it was really like traumatic for me. That's a little excessive, I guess a little dramatic, but it's like, you know, at the time it was a big deal to me and it was just kind of like, it was a really important moment in my childhood to be like, okay, you know, cause goalie is such a mental position, you know, something like that can really mess with you. And, uh, it just like the, the sport gave me, I was just like, okay, I've got to come back, you know, like eventually it gave me the opportunity to learn something really important. So yeah, I think that's it. Just like the nature of the game was so like, um, I don't know, like compelling to me that it just, 
that kept me around for all these ex- experiences, like highs and lows. Like, you know, when we coached Adam, we had not, not a lot of success as a team. And it was like, it was an incredible learning experience for me and like all the very fulfilling. I, I thought it was like some of the best coaching I ever witnessed or was around mm. was or participated in was like, like having great practices at a team that was not winning games and having kids have an experience that was meaningful to them. And it was like, um, so, and I was just like, it, it put me in that situation. The game put me in that situation. I'm like, hey, this is something you have to figure out. And, uh, so there's a lot of, and the people, you know, it's just like the collection of people that I've met are, I haven't met them in other areas of my life. You know, like my lacrosse friends are different than my other friends. Say a little bit more about that. Um, I don't know. I think it's just like, I think part of it is just like team sports and stuff. Like being in a locker room is like, uh, you know, it allows you to sort of like express your personality in certain ways and everything. But it's, uh, like that you just like, you can't really replicate that. Like, even if you're like, you're hanging out with your buddies and you're like, you can't really replicate like being on a bus or being in the locker room and, you know, like shooting the shit and telling like stories and stuff. And just like, or like some, some kind of experience that you have on the field is super like visceral. You know, you're like, I scored a goal once in college and like my friend hugged me afterwards, you know? And it was just like, it was this like moment of elation or, um, you know, like the opposite too, you know, you're like going through really tough stuff. You're like, that's how these, like these kinds of relationships are it's hard to replicate, I think, in other areas. I mean, I have amazing friends from all areas of my life, you know, like people I've worked with and people, you know, that I've just met in my elsewhere. But I think having the sport together is, um, you know, so it's hard to, it's hard to replicate. It makes me jealous of oh, someone who's a career coach, you know, it's like having that all, you know, so many years in a row. So. Yes. Sometimes it's, the best job you could ever have <laughs> yeah and, and sometimes as you said you learn a lot about getting back up yeah yeah it seems like it's changed a lot too what it means to be a coach sir um in the time that you you know having recently retired it's like I, I, th- I think about this sometimes like what was it like to be a coach when you first started and what is it like to be a coach now even at any level like a college level or high school or a youth coach it seems like it's just a different animal yeah different challenges and yeah i agree and it's sort of it's connected to your work as well um but again we've had a lot some of us have had a really long time to observe this arc and for all the time that we spent as college coaches talking about comparing ourselves to coaches of other sports in college who were so much more lucratively paid and so that becomes a a complaint, whether you are overt about saying those words or not. And I mean, talk about a, be careful what you wish for. Um, you know, lacrosse was quite a bit more innocent and people were probably a lot more willing to share thoughts about strategies that really worked <laughs> um, with their peers when you weren't so worried about if I lose this year, I could, I, I could lose this job that pays me really well. So it it is, it is, it is, I mean, it's, we are, we are right in the middle of all that right now, aren't we? Like I'm, I am not sad, uh, that I never had to deal with NIL issues that, that does not, does not make me sad. Yeah, I'm sure it's well-timed on your part. It's like, I think about that all the time, but kind of like careful what you wish for. Cause when I started to really start to happen, I think when I was in college that, you know, people were, coaches were starting to get paid more money and television and stuff and you're like hey, we're not basketball or football but like we are inching our way in that direction and now you see where basketball and football are which i mean we've they've like left the realm of of amateur athletics a long time ago well even before nil you know it's just like it's professional sports it takes place at a college but that's that's about the only thing that makes it anywhere rem- it's not really connected to the mission of the institution i think it's hard to make the argument it's more i mean maybe you could 
but it's like, it's more like it's a business that is just like attached to the university, you know? And there it's like total toothpaste out of the tube. You know, it's like, you can't go back. You're not going to be like, Oh, Ohio state football. We want to like change our admission standards and like choose not to sell the TV rights for this amount of money and just kind of manage it differently. It's like, it's not going to happen. So you're like, okay, what happens in lacrosse? I hear all these stories about NIL and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Like lacrosse only has 12.6 scholarships, not at every school. Like I, for the longest time, thought it was like a really big deal to get a scholarship, even a part of a scholarship. You know, if you're like, there's not that many people getting scholarships in lacrosse. There certainly are not a lot of people getting a full scholarship relative to the total number of kids playing. But now it's like, I'm sure there are many people that are like, okay, I expect a scholarship plus compensation, you know? And it's like, why do you navigate that as a coach? I'm not quite sure. Then how do you yell at the kids when they screw up? You know, it's like, they're like, <laughs> they're like, I'm going to go transfer or whatever. Like, that's like an important part of being coached is like learning how to get yelled at sometimes. <laughs> so, well, and so many of the lessons, right. That, that you all are focused on and in terms of, character character and integrity and i mean it is it's the, to me it's the ultimate irony in terms of people that have talked about this stuff a lot being very important that the situation is what it is now which is that when you have an opportunity where you have to be accountable and responsible you also can just say no i'm leaving i'm going somewhere else and i i, I again uh, I picked a good time to coach when I did. Very lucky, very fortunate. I don't know how you deal with that aspect when so many of the foundational principles that we all tried to use as teaching tools, I guess they're still there. I mean, great coaches have to figure out a way to have them still be there and incorporate them, but it's a lot harder. Yeah. I really lament that component, the like jumping ship concept, which... I think is relatively new, but like very incredibly pervasive. It's like, I talk to parents all the time and I, now my kids playing and they're like, okay, hey, there's always like a, I'm going to go play for this team. And it's like, I, like that concept was just like, couldn't have been more foreign to me as like a 12 year old. Like, okay, you don't like the way the team's functioning, like figure it out, <laughs> make it better. Like be a better player, be a better leader, figure out how to get along with these people. You don't like the coach that's called life, you know, like figure it out, you know, if you want to be successful, you need to figure out how to have a productive relationship here. Um, and it seems like that's not really part of what is the youth sports experience today is much different. It's, it's, and what I is tragic to me about it is like kind of, I think it can be very exclusive led by nature. So it's like the, the net impact is like just push people away you know the i watch these middle school lacrosse tournaments and i'm like okay here's someone who's like does not know the game that well this person's not a good coach they're not they're not strong like educator at all but they like they're a recruiter you know like they they've they've crafted their roster well and so they're winning all the games and so they're walking around being like i'm a great coach and the the parents are super happy and the kids are, think they're great players and stuff and like what you've done the easiest way to be good with little kids is to tell the kids who are not good not to play. That's not complicated. <laughs> you know, it's really doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But the, but the net impact is lots of kids don't play, you know? And like, that's not the world I want to live in that says, Hey, this isn't for you. You know, you're struggling to catch or you're kind of slow, like to find something else. Like, no, that's not what I want out of youth sports, but it's, I don't want to be too like doom and gloom because they're, the positive is it's like there's so many more resources going into youth sports that like there's more people coaching and the, and there's there's good there's great coaching happening all over the place i mean i'm i'm blown away when i watch little kids play across like these kids are incredible like these kids are a lot better than i was at that age for sure and people i knew and every age pro lacrosse is way better than when i played pro lacrosse They're way more competitive um so that's good you know but i think it's just there's new stuff to figure out how to make it, I think, the the universe that we want, kind of like the lacrosse ecosystem that we want. I, I, there is some opportunity, I think, because it's kind of small, you know, where you're like, basketball is it's like AAU, and, you know, you're like, kind of is what it is, you know? 
So I don't, it's hard. It seems hard, to, monumental to try and change, but um, yeah. lacrosse, I think hopefully we can find our way. And like in the world of club and NIL and just like where lots of people are having really positive experiences and, and getting what we want to get out of them. And we're attracting people to be coaches, you know, that they, you know, I think about what you just said, you're like, okay, I don't want to be NIL seems like a great time to not be a coach. You're like, who's going to be the next generation of great coaches, you know, and you know, there's some people that are like, I don't know, that doesn't seem like something I want to grapple with, you know, like recruiting and NIL, like, you know, hopefully those people might be high school coaches or stay in the game some way if they were truly have the potential to be a great coach, but it'd be, that'd be like a travesty if we lost great people who could have been great coaches because of the, the ecosystem is just kind of, it's, it's less optimal, you know, it's hard to do great work. Hopefully they're coming up through you are building many in the Harlem lacrosse program. Pete, that was a great lead. And cause Mike, you find some coaches who are fortunate enough to coach the, the children of their players. You've been around now doing what you're doing. My question is how great is it to see kind of like your closer to finished products? I have to imagine. And I know that there are players from your programs who are now in leadership positions working side by side with you uh it's like real life uh evidence can you talk about that yeah yeah it's all i mean it's awesome it's been um we talk about the building like a diverse talent pipeline to hire our little crossing one of the solutions to that is like our own pipeline of kids you know that as they come up we we got a bunch of uh former students who are program directors um and the executive director of harlem lacrosse boston pat cronin someone i coached at metro lacrosse in 2007 he was a junior and lived in West Roxbury in Boston. And he was like, you know, playing lacrosse, you know, and he's a great kid. And, um, the lacrosse experience for him was kind of like new and unique. Like he wasn't someone who had traditionally had access to it. And he went to UMass and he was the president of the club lacrosse team there. And, um, you know, then he started work. We were lucky to hire him and, He's been working here and he's, I would say, like an emerging nonprofit leader. What I think is kind of cool about it is just like, you know, sustainability is a term that is often thrown around in my industry, uh, nonprofit. You know, a lot of times you think about financial sustainability. I think another way is, is think about sort of like, uh, are you able to withstand change? But I, I think one component of sustainability is kind of like the owner. What is the ownership of Harlem Cross look like, if you will? You know, it's like, it's not a, corporation it's owned technically like by the public really but it's um kind of like who are the who are the board members and like who's the person in my job and who's who are the donors and stuff like that and like i hope that we we just keep pushing that more and more towards the community in which we're operating and that that's part of what i was talking about earlier where i'm like hey, there will be a day when this doesn't seem unique at all and there's just this like super robust lacrosse community in harlem and they're like oh yeah my dad played lacrosse in harlem and like you know i'm he's now like on the board of the youth lacrosse organization in my community and we have this cool relationship with the school so they're an academic component too um that i think would unlock a whole new level of potential for for harlem lacrosse and, and hopefully we're working towards that but it's yeah, it's awesome and and when you think about um like the kids who've come through the program and what they bring to the to the role of being a program director is like it's super rich you know like we're talking about relationship building with kids and families and for some reason we have like i've grown up in this community you know and i'm going to now be your lacrosse coach and i can like i can i have some shared experiences with you and like a cultural understanding of like you know and it's cool it's really cool plus i feel like we're kind of so like a unique vibe to the lacrosse culture in harlem or compton or dorchester you know that it's not exactly there's elements of like the the broader lacrosse community but it has like its own flair to it um which i think is just really cool you know it's like, kind of like you know like a native american community is like their re relationship with lacrosse is different than like pittsburgh where i grew up or darien which has like an you know super like vibrant lacrosse community 
but they all have kind of different vibes. And I think that's part of what makes the sport cool and, and, and having kids come up through and then become the leaders is, is part of, you know, that vibe. Well, it's, it's really clear in talking to you for this time that you are the right leader at the right time. I will just comment that the players and families and staff of Harlem lacrosse are really lucky to have you, but I'll also go beyond and say our sport is really lucky to have you where you are and you will continue to make a difference in all those people's lives. I predict right here on February 1st in 2024 that you will stay connected to those people for the rest of your life, just like you have stayed connected to and I have stayed connected to the last college lacrosse recruit that I did a home visit with, I am still connected with to this day right now on this screen. So um, it's just been a pleasure. I hope that home visit was as memorable for you as it was for me and my family, Mike. I mean, I had no idea it was the, uh, it was the last one. It, it certainly was, you know, I, I will never, ever forget that. You know, I remember saying to my mom after you left, I was like, wow, that was, that was different. Like, this is like, there's something here. And, uh, I really didn't want it to end just getting to meet your family. And, um, yeah, it had a really big impact on my life, you know, despite the fact that we never got to connect as player and coach, but that's, that seems less important now. You know, it's like, we still got to have a relationship, which is what really matters. But uh, I agree. And that continues. Yeah. It would have been fun though. I think to play a little. Oh man. I've thought about it more than once, <laughs> especially because, well, yeah, I don't want to disparage anybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> Leaving an all American goalie is never really a super smart move. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we want to say thank you to Mike Levin who joined us today. We pick our guests because we just want really, really interesting people that we want to talk to. Uh, and we were really fortunate today. Uh, Mike's been in both of our lives for a long time. And I think loyalty and friendship, uh, confidence, adaptability, and just an awareness of not just what's going on around it, but all that he can offer or some of Mike's strengths and why, you know, we were just so excited to have him, thankful to have him in our lives and just want to say thanks for taking this time. So we're really appreciative of letting us inside a little bit. You are definitely somebody in the lacrosse world that every day you get up, you are changing not only the game and spreading the game, but you are changing the lives and the futures and the families and the opportunities of all those that are fortunate enough to get involved. So we just want to say thank you, Mike. Pete, once again, you're so dialed in. Uh, here at Inside Roll, the side of possible. You see you guys down the road. Thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you.